so as I say, uh, all being well, you'll have a, a gold uh, sheet that says incorrectly week five. Uh, they're on the table at the back, very bright. Uh, I just thought it, uh, we could do with some sunshine on this slightly wintry uh, day. Um, there are other ones that are at the back there. If you've missed any, do grab them. Um, just a reminder that we're doing the prayer appointments on the 19th of uh, January. I think most of you let me know one way or another if you're able to come on the 19th of January with these sheets uh, two weeks ago uh, when we met. If you haven't and haven't emailed me um, since then uh, and you now can tell me whether you can or can't come, there is one of these on the table at the back uh, for you to uh, fill in. Um, just also, please would you put in your diary Wednesday the 23rd of January, um, which is a Wednesday evening evening, similar to a Wednesday evening now, um, we'll meet, which is post your op, uh, original design prayer appointments. Uh, what we'll talk about then is essentially what's next. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about strongholds, but we'll talk about what that, look, what that means for the original design appointment, what you can do with that prayer. Um, I'm hoping to have somebody join me to talk to you a bit about that uh, and also just talk through um, how we can sh live more as the people that God's created us to be. So that's Wednesday, the 23rd of January. Um, I know a number of you are here uh, because you wanted to be in a small group and we asked you to come along here or we wanted you to, you wanted to move uh, into uh, small groups or for various reasons to do with small groups. If you are here and you are not currently in a regular small group, so you're not here as part of a small group um, and you would like to be, uh, there is also some sign-up sheets at the back uh, which we'd ask you to fill in. Um, I've put name uh, and an incredibly small box for name, I've just realized. So I'm failing as an administrator massively today, hopefully not failing as a preacher, we'll find that out, uh, but uh, you can follow into the next box. I've written contact email if we don't have one, uh, so if you've had an email from me, it means we've got your email address, so you don't need to put an email address in there if we've got one already, but just put your name, and then I put Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, slightly larger boxes than we need for this, um, just to tick if there's a particular evening of the week, we all our small groups meet on either Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday evenings, uh, so if there's a particular week, weeknight you would like to meet or can't meet, put a tick or a cross in there. It's fairly self-explanatory. If anything, you'd like to know anything about small groups, uh, Jan, uh, our wonderful senior minister, uh, is here uh, in a turquoise top? Yeah, whatever. Bluey, greeny colour. Uh, <laughs> she's at the back. Uh, do chat with her. She uh, is the lady in the know about small groups. Um, there is also on the table at the back two boxes of Christian CDs of varieties um, which have been uh, donated. I'm looking for Kay. I can't see her. There she is. Sorry. Uh, Kay's brought them along. They, they have been donated and uh, we would like to offer to sell them to you at whatever rate you would like in, in aid of NotDeck, one of our mission partners. So if you'd like to put, uh, take any of those CDs and put whatever donation you would like in the box, the money will be greatly received uh, and go towards NotDeck, one of our uh, mission partners. And the last notice... Um, I've got is, um, could you please help uh, with uh, packing away or setting up? I've only got one person uh, down to help pack away this evening, and I don't think I've got very many people for setting up or packing away next week. So those sheets are at the back. Um, there isn't an awful lot to do. Those who have done it will know that. Um, but uh, if you were able to help, that would be wonderful. Okay. Uh, will you just uh, turn to somebody near you and tell them... Uh, what sort of day you've had, uh, whether it's been a good day or a bad day, uh, and I will be back with you in a moment.
Okay, thank you for that. Um, the main purpose of that was so that I could go and grab a glass of water. There was nothing spiritual in it. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I hope you managed to talk to somebody uh, and tell them, and I hope you've had nice days. Um, as you will see from our sheet, even if it isn't week five, even if it isn't week five, we are talking about authority um, this week, and specifically God's authority uh, and what it means to be under his authority, uh, what that looks like in the church, and also what it means for us to be uh, in authority. Now, as I prayed over this talk and um, looked over it, um, a phrase is coming back into my mind, um, which you may well know. It's a very famous phrase, which is God offends the heart. Uh, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. You may have heard that um, before, and it just sense that maybe one or two people may hear what I have to say this evening, and um, might find it a little bit difficult uh, at times. If you do that this evening, can I ask that you just make a, a little note next to wherever it is? I'll follow the sheet fairly fairly solidly, I think. Um, so make a note wherever it is and just commit this week to praying into that a little bit more and asking God to reveal uh, why. It may be that nothing does. I hope it doesn't. Um, but if it does, can I ask you just, uh, just to do that? Uh, so with your expectations slightly raised, I imagine, uh, can, I, can I pray, not least for me, uh, but for us as we, as we think? Lord, we thank you uh, for your authority in our lives. We thank you that you created us to be in authority as well as under authority. And Lord, as I speak now, I pray that everything I say will be um, from your word, your written word, and will lead us to more of a relationship with your living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, when we pray for things, uh, we, when we pray your kingdom come, what we're asking in that prayer is for God's rule or his reign to come into a situation or a place. The word kingdom in the Greek literally means an arena of rule or a place. Or a, 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 it's not a power to place or a, or a kingdom as we might think like the queen rules over the United Kingdom. It's rule or reign. So when we say thy kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, would you have your rule? rule or your reign over a particular place. And we have authority in the spiritual realms, and we'll talk about our authority a little in a moment, but we only have authority because we are under authority. I've written here, we are both under, uh, we are both in authority and under authority. And this paragraph, which is not mine, um, I've shamelessly stolen it, I particularly like as an introduction. If we're going to move in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, then we need to understand authority. You simply cannot have one without the other. Spiritual authority comes from God. It begins with him, and it's located within him. He's the ultimate authority, yet he desires to express his authority through mankind. And I've using, I want to use this passage from Matthew 8 just to illustrate this a little bit. Um, so I'll read this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to have you, to, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have found no one in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. Um, I don't know if you remember um, the cartoon Asterix. Um, I'm, uh, I'm afraid I've never massively watched it, but I always remember there was a really tall, strong one and a really short, um, uh, dumpy one. That's the word I'm going to use. I hope that's all right. Um, and I think the short, dumpy one was the one in power. Is that right? Have I got that the right way around? I'm getting some nods. He was, he was perhaps the, um, the, uh, the, cent uh, the centurion. So let's imagine these two, uh, him as a centurion and the big, tall, strapping one as his soldier. Why is it that the big, tall, strapping one goes and does what the centurion tells him to do? What is it about him? When the centurion says, here, I tell one of my servants, go, and he goes. One of them come, and they come. One of them do this, and they do it. What is it that they do that? Why is it they do that? Well, he says here, because he himself is a man under authority. If the Roman soldier were to say, ha, fat chance, whatever, I'm not going to do that, uh, mate. Um, the, the authority that the centurion has goes all the way back to Rome, to the emperor. The soldier knows that if they mess with the centurion, they're going to be in a lot of trouble going further back. The man stands in the authority of Rome and the emperor. So when we pray, when, uh, when we pray, when the evil one hears our prayer, he knows he's dealing with God at work in us. Remember that verse that we looked at, um, I think, a couple, three weeks ago when we talked about spiritual realms from 1 John. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We need to recognize that the authority that we have comes from God. So if we want to be in authority, we need to understand that we are under authority. And Jesus clearly understood uh, this and demonstrated perfect submission with Father God. In John 5, um, I think I've got this here. Yeah. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only what I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus says here that he can do nothing without the Father and always points back uh, to Father God. He always is under his authority. He says this again in uh, John 7, bottom there. Uh, my teaching is not my own. It comes from what, him who sent me. He demonstrates complete dependence here upon the Father. Unfortunately, we don't see uh, that perfect relationship in the world around us. We don't see perfect authority in the world around us or respect of authority um, around us. It's because Satan is real. We've talked about this already. He longs to mess with every part of our lives, including our understanding of authority. Uh, we thought about this when we talked about uh, the spiritual realms. I've put them here under Satan is a rebel there at the top. I'm not going to go through those particular verses. But essentially, Satan has said, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to cause a coup. I'm going to take over. Pride enters Satan's heart. He wants to be like God. And the nature of rebellion is within him. Now, we all come uh, to faith at different ways and at different times. Uh, I'm sure each of your stories about how you came to faith will be very uh, different indeed. But what at the heart of becoming a Christian is about belonging to the kingdom of God and coming under his authority. It's about bowing the knee uh, to Jesus. 
you may well, there, there, there will be some people who think, oh, well, I've, I've prayed a prayer or I was baptized as a child. I'm a Christian. Actually, to be a follower of Christ is to understand that he is the one with authority in our lives. You can't belong to two kingdoms, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of, and the kingdom of darkness, just as you can't belong to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Adam or, or the kingdom of Steve or Judy or Bob. They don't mix. When Jesus says here in um, Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's not just talking about money. All areas of our lives need to be submitted to God, to God's authority. I know Jonathan spoke into this on Sunday. Sunday was Christ the King, where we need to submit all of our lives to him and his authority. Now, it doesn't mean we always get it right, of course, which is why we, have, uh, why we have grace, but it's about a willing submission to the will of God in our lives. One of the foundations of this teaching, I think, got me to think about the fact, it got me to ask myself the question, sorry, am I asking God to sort my life out, or am I coming to him under his authority to do his will and to say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life? Am I asking or expecting God to just sort my life out? Or am I coming under his authority and saying, your will be done? Adam and Eve's principal sin was not that they deliberately disobeyed God. It's that they didn't trust him for what would happen. They believed that they knew best. They didn't come under his authority, his rule and reign for their lives. So firstly, we act out of authority because we are under authority. And if we have rebellion in any areas of our lives, that will have an impact in how we, how we are doing in the spiritual realms and how we communicate particularly with the spiritual realms. God has ultimate authority in our lives. Um, now let me do the, try that sentence again. He delegates that authority to us, but also to those who are over us as well in life, in and around the world, in church. Now, let me be very clear from the outset, there is a difference between God's authority and the way that we live under authority with other people around us. But God's delegated his authority into those places, and he expects us to respond to that. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 3 is here. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So on the earth, there's always going to be authority. There's going to be authority figures, politicians, soldiers, uh, society around us, our families, our workplaces, whatever it is, they exist. And God has given authority into those places uh, to exist in a beautiful way. We'll look at the purpose of authority in those places in a moment. But just before we do that, I want you to talk to each other again. It's all right, not just because I want some water. I planned this one. Um, I want you to just talk to somebody near to you and um, think about a couple of people who have been in authority over you at some point in your life. Lifetime. It might have been a teacher at school, it might have been a parent, it might be a boss now, it might be anyone. I want to think of one person who was particularly good in that role, who you felt like you, uh, you respected and had a good relationship with them, and one person who, who had a bad impact on your life. And just think about what the attributes of those two people were that made them 
either good or bad. And I'm going to ask you to share one or two of those words with me in a minute. So uh, just to forewarn you of that. So just chat amongst yourselves, wherever you are, and come up with those two things. Just going to give you another 30 seconds or so. Okay, when you're ready. Just come back together. So we'll start with the, um, with the negative effect, the people that have had a negative effect on our lives. So just looking for one word, ideally. I've got a few here that I'd like to try and see whether we find. Uh, but let's just maybe shout out some words that describe somebody in your life that has had a negative effect on you, perhaps. Unjust. Unjust. Thank you. That's good. Controlling. Excellent. Critical. Right? Yeah. Inconsistent. No. Tyrannical, good word. Can't spell them. I'm glad I'm not writing them down. Last time I wrote them down. <laughs> Actually, I got Katie to write them for me because she was doing the course. Absent, not there. Yeah, very much so. Bombastic, Ooh. that's another one. Good word. They're all good words, but yeah. Some of the ones I've written here, I've got control. I've got manipulative as well. We had critical there. Aggressive. Perhaps dishonest. I don't know why I'm here. Dishonest, um, humiliating at times. Uh, these were ones that came to mind when I thought of people, uh, which is not good. Let's think about the positive ones. Some words that are for people that describe people who are positive. Think. Principled. Principled. Sorry, I heard one over here. Encouraging. Fair and caring. Yeah. Appreciative. Inspiring. Yeah. 
I got gentle as well, potentially. Affir affirmation, I think probably there's a better way of putting that, isn't there? But uh, Yeah, affirming, yeah, better. There we are. Told you. Affirmationing is what I would have gone with. Uh, respect as well, respecting, respectful, and protecting, perhaps, um, as well. Uh, I'm not going to write these ones down. I don't want you to talk to one another, but just for a moment, just think about those who are in leadership in the world, so not in the church, in the world. Uh, think about those, uh, are they maybe our MPs, our leaders of the countries, leaders of countries around the world, and think about how, not necessarily yourself, but also the rest of the world, how do they often treat those uh, people? How do they respond to them? Maybe Donald Trump, perhaps. Um, what do you think about him. Perhaps we trust them with distrust or with fear, maybe, or anger or cynicism. Now, I think the world has turned fairly individualistic in, in our, the way that we view ourselves. We've all become our own authority figures, and we don't need anybody else or anything else in our lives. I'll only respect you if you agree with everything that I agree with, or pretty much agree with everything I agree with. Now, I'm not saying that we should all join um, uh, the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or whichever one it is that Donald Trump's uh, part of. My American politics is a shocking. I apologize to our American friends here. But I, of course, we can disagree with those who are in leadership over us. But what is our heart doing in these situations, I wonder? We live in a culture, I think, of deep cynicism. You don't have to watch the news for particularly long at the moment uh, to see that. And I don't think it's just in the world. I think we can see this. I've been in churches time after time when this has been in the church uh, as well. Now, I want to explain why authority, I think, is a beautiful thing and a God-given thing and something that we should be aiming to both understand why we, wa we want to be both in authority but also under uh, authority. I put some principles here or purposes of authority here on, the, I think, the third uh, page. Um, but before I do that, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Um, just give me a moment, sorry. I put here, uh, just before that actually, I put this Hebrews passage. I didn't want to miss it. So just um, God's ultimate authority. Obey your leaders. So we've got here Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. It doesn't say leaders make your people obey you. It says obey your leaders. It's something that we give, and the point of it is that even if in, in the church we're called uh, to obey our leaders, I'm under Jonathan's authority. I'm the curate here. Uh, he's the vicar of this church. I'm under his authority. He, in turn, is under the authority of an archdeacon and, and the bishop. I have to obey Jonathan. I have to honor him in my greeting of him. If you're a uh, children's minister, if you're in our children's team here, uh, you're under Roz or, or Hannah or uh, Lizzie's authority. If you're in our youth teams, you're under Kate or Michael's authority. When we live under authority, we bring peace and harmony to a place. Now, just a, a note here on a health warning, if you will, that all Christians have exactly uh, the same value before God. 
whether you're a woman or a man or a child, we all have the same authority. I've written that here under value and function. Authority is not about being valuable. It's purely about function, how things are functioning, how they're shaped. Of course, we have the principle of appeal in Scripture. If you want to read Acts 15, you'll see Paul appeals to the elders um, and apostles concerning Peter's withdrawal from the Gentiles. It's absolutely appropriate to go to somebody uh, with honor and respect and say, I'm not really sure uh, I agree with you about this. I think there's something we need to talk about here. It's totally appropriate. It's not the same as slagging someone off behind their back. It's not the same as having rebellion against them, either amongst others or even just in our heart, which can really destroy. I'm sure you're going to find it really hard to believe this, but occasionally I do get things wrong. Not just the number on the week of the sheets or the color of the sheets. This was brought to my attention uh, a little while ago uh, because somebody made a, a bit of a complaint uh, about me. Um, and, uh, be, uh, the, but what they did was they didn't talk to me about it. They went to someone else to complain. Now, the heart of the matter, the thing that they complained about is not the thing at stake here. I was wrong on, the occasion that they, on that occasion. Well, the thing they complained about, I was absolutely wrong, and I needed to apologize for the thing that I'd done. The thing that hurt at the time, and still a little bit hurts now and has damaged our relationship, is the fact that they went to someone else to complain about it rather than talk to me about it. They didn't honor me as one of their leaders in the way that they handled that complaint. If you don't like something that someone's doing, regardless of whether it's in the church, whether it's at home, whether it's in the workplace, wherever it is, please go and talk to people about it. Don't grumble about it to others behind their backs. I suspect we're in this individualistic world that I talked about because time and time again, people in authority have mistreated that authority, but the response to it shouldn't be to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The purpose of authority, as I say, is a good and a beautiful thing. I've written, now I am on the five purposes of authority that I've come up with uh, here. The first principal purpose, I believe, of authority is to protect. Most of you know I've got a, a two-year-old nearly, um, two-year-old boy, Jacob, who to be outside in the rain. Um, he may well have a small umbrella that could offer him a bit of protection against that rain. If Jess were to go along and stand, stand beside him with a larger umbrella over the top of him, he would get more protection. If I were to stand alongside Jess with a larger umbrella, and then if Jonathan were to come with a larger umbrella, and then an archdeacon, and then a bishop, and then an archbishop were to come with much larger umbrellas, Jacob is massively protected uh, from the rain. Protection is one of the key principles of authority, one of the key purposes of authority. But what if Jonathan or Jess or I were to step away with our umbrellas? Jacob's subjected then to more of the rain, isn't he? We've got here in Acts 20, keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And we need to watch over ourselves first of all. So just as Jacob needs to hold that small umbrella to care for himself, to stop himself from getting wet. But we, as I say, it goes on. Keep watch of yourselves and all the flock with whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The purpose of authority is not how do I get what I want. It's how do I lay my life down in order to protect the people who are under me, in order to give them this protection. Now, the second purpose of authority I've written here, I believe, is to build up. 
2 Corinthians 10, for even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Earlier we said, didn't we, encouraging, building people up is something that we would see as an attribute of a good boss, of a good person in authority. So if we're in authority over people, we should be building them up. Authority is also to release Ephesians 4.11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Those who are in authority should be releasing those under them into what it is that God has called them to be. This is something that church leaders particularly need to be good at and I need to be good at because it's very tempting for me to release people into the gaps in my rotors rather than releasing them into the things that God has called them to do. I'm being honest. It's truthful. Every one person in church leadership has the same issue. It's much easier. I've got these gaps here. I need to release these people into it. Actually, we're called to release people into what it is God has called them uh, to be in their lives. And the last uh, one I've written on here, actually, is to release spiritual anointing. James 5. If anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Frequently in scripture, those in leadership are called to pray over those who they're in authority over. We're not the only ones who can pray. Essentially, this verse is saying if you're too unwell to go to church, get the church to come to you. We're all called to pray uh, for one another. But there is a significance in praying for those with whom you are in authority over. So those are just five principles that I think from from Scripture. They're not an exhaustive list. It's not the entire purpose of authority written for you on one side of A4. It's a very long list. It's just designed to help you think about some of the purpose and see some of the beauty of authority that is there. The key point I want us to understand is that we are both under authority, but we are are in authority, but also under authority. Now, there are just a couple of additional comments on this I want to make um, before we move on. Um, The first one is that we should submit to authority, primarily to God, but also to those around us, um, with willing hearts and not with gritted teeth. Authority, as we experienced, is a beautiful and good thing when it's used right. If we're having to submit through gritted teeth, then either it's not being used correctly or we've misunderstood it. Remember I said one of the key things of these teaching was to ask, am I asking God to sort my life out or am I under his authority and willing to do as he requires? And secondly, it's just a a, a health warning, really, is that if we can't submit to someone out of uh, consciousness, um, and this is particularly in relation, it is only in relation to those in uh, in the human sense that we're under authority of, um, then we should refuse to do so out of respect and honesty. We should never disobey God in order to obey man. Just a very quick example, I once worked as a salesman uh, for a shoe firm and the, the manager of the firm told me that I needed to lie to customers about a particular product that we were selling and he didn't understand that I wasn't happy about doing this. I left his employment uh, there and then because what we, what we shouldn't have to go against what God instructs us to do rather than uh, to do what man will ask us to do. But I think in truth, most disagreements, most things that cause rebellion in us are not about gospel-related issues. They're about preferences. 
Um, some of you will know I was involved in a church in Bristol for a very long time, um, which has had huge amounts of rebellion, huge amounts of disagreement, and huge amounts of fallout from people feeling like they're not coming under the authority. The main cause of all of that disagreement and heartache is the time a service started on a Sunday morning. Now, you, you can laugh, and I do laugh about that. It's huge amounts of hurt and pain. The time that we worship God, this was not should we worship God, it was what time we worship God. Um, Huge amounts of pain were caused by the time we worship God. That's not a gospel issue. I'm sorry. If you think it is, it's not. Um, whether we worship God is a gospel issue. What time we do it is not. Um, and I realize all the pain. I, I, trust me, I've walked through people through this. I know the pain and the heartache that was, goes alongside it. But actually, the majority of fallout, the majority of rebellion, the majority of issues that we have in this area, particularly in church, I think comes down to preference uh, rather than authority. Now, I said I was going to, earlier I was going to talk a bit about being in authority as well as being under authority. And you'll note that I've been talking for about 25 minutes, uh, and I haven't started on that second half uh, yet. Don't worry. It's not my intention to talk for another half an hour um, about the second half of that. I've done this on purpose. I spent longer on this first part because it's crucial. And I think this is where this teaching differs from a lot of teaching on charismatic um, theology. If we don't understand that we both live in authority, but also crucially under authority, we begin to think that we don't need to listen to others around us. And if they disagree with what we believe God is saying to us, we can just disappear and go somewhere else. We need to be in authority as well, uh, under authority as well as in authority. Just as an example of this, if Jonathan were to say on Sunday coming, um, I sense the Lord is saying that the whole church should fast on Wednesday and pray about a certain thing. I wonder how you would respond to him saying that. Would you say, great, fantastic, I'll do that. Would you say, mm, that's interesting, I actually had a quite a nice sandwich planned for lunchtime on Wednesday. Uh, it doesn't really fit with my diary, sorry about that. The question should not be, do I fast? It should be, how do I fast? Now, if Jonathan were to say, all of the church must stop eating at 10 p.m. on Tuesday and start eating again at 10 p.m. on Wednesday, that would be wrong, and that would be him controlling as, as a leader, and he wouldn't do that. Um, he, he can, but he, if he calls us to fast, as I say, we should be listening, and we should say, okay, Lord, how do I respond to this in the best way? How do you want me to respond to this? And this is how, where the rubber sort of hits the road, really, in our lives how we respond to those in authority over us, not just in the church, but outside in the world as well. But what does being in authority look like? Well, first and foremost, it's about being in relationship, both with one another and, crucially, with God. Last time um, I did this talk, I then went on to talk about hearing God's voice, which we've already uh, done, because hearing God speak to us is crucial in our understanding of how we're in authority. Let's look at uh, chapter 8. It's on the next page. You've already moved on, I'm sure. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 uh, to 8. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, um, and as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. 
Now, notice what's happening in this passage. Peter doesn't go alongside him and particularly uh, pray for a long period of time with this man. He doesn't also say, God, will you heal this man? He says, God, get up and walk. What I have, I give you. Now, this doesn't mean that Peter was the source of the healing. Because if we see what Peter says a little bit later, Acts 3, verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our power or godliness we have made him walk? It was God's power that healed the man. But that power was under Peter's authority. Peter goes on to say in verse 16, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter didn't ask God to heal the man. He believed that the Lord had already done his part and had placed that authority uh, within Peter. It was Peter's responsibility to release that power just as he did. But there's an important distinction here between the two words power and authority. Authority is the right to do something. Power is the ability. Both of these come from God, but power remains with God. Peter knows he's got God's authority, but he must have had a divine nudge in order to do this. It says here at the very beginning, um, uh, at three in the afternoon, uh, a man who man was lame from birth being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. He'd been put there every day. The, be- the gate called Beautiful was uh, the most popular, most um, gone-through gate of the temple courts. Jesus will have walked past this man without question in his ministry. So why is it that Jesus didn't heal this man here? We don't know. It's not in Scripture. Perhaps it was that he said to the father, Father, what about him? And God said, no, not yet. Because Peter needed to heal this man in order for the things that happened in Peter's ministry going on as we read about in Acts. Jesus and Peter, when exercising their authority that they have, the same authority that we all have, only do so because they know they're under God's authority and they're being led to do what they're doing by God. Jesus says again in John 5, 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. John 12, 15, Whatever I say uh, is just what the Father has told me to say. A little later, John 14, Whoever believes in me, that's all of us, I hope, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus in these three verses is firstly saying that what he does, he does because the Father is doing it and and he does what the Father is telling him to do. And secondly, because he's telling us that we as his believers can do the same. So if Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and what he heard the Father telling him to do, then we need to do that. So we are called to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, as we've got here in this passage, just as the disciples were, but only if we sense that is what the Lord is calling us to do, which is why hearing God's voice is important and critical to any understanding of being in authority. It's why St. Paul tells us that we need to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. When we pray for people who who need healing, we should be saying to God, Lord, do you want to heal this person today and if we're able to hear God's voice then we will sometimes hear no we will sometimes hear nothing and we will sometimes hear yes 
If we hear nothing or if we hear no, we can still pray for that person. Throughout Scripture, there are plenty of times when people pray on behalf of others, when they petition God on behalf of others. We pray on their behalf and ask God to heal them. But if we hear God say yes to that, we need to understand that we have authority, just as Peter does. Peter will have heard God say yes and know that he could heal this man through God's power. If you notice that when Jesus heals Lazarus, uh, sorry, when Jesus hears that Lazarus has died, he doesn't go straight away to the bedside to bring him back to life. He waits. He waits because he's under authority and Father God has not yet told him to go. It has to be in God's timing and in God's power. So we're not to just go around willy-nilly saying, be healed in Jesus' name, which we often see, particularly in charismatic church. We're to do that if God tells us that these people are to be healed, that he wants to heal them. If we're not sure, it's much better to say, Lord, would you heal? Um, If we're not sure that we've heard from God. So we are both in authority, but most crucially, under authority. Now, you'll see I've got some questions on here um, for you to think about in your groups. Before we do that, um, I just want to spend five or ten minutes just looking at uh, this worksheet. But before we do that, will you stand up, turn around, do a little bit of shake and everything else? Um, Whatever you need to do. I'll get some more water. You can sit down again if you like. It was just because I realized I've been talking for just under half an hour. So, um, Jonathan talked about strongholds two weeks ago. I mentioned uh, control. Uh, and what we're going to do with strongholds, you'll know when we were here two weeks ago, we, we, we went through a con- um, the stronghold of fear together. This week and next week, uh, we're going to go through two different strongholds. This week, we're going to look at control. Next week, we're going to look at rejection uh, together. Um, and these are worksheets. I have actually got a whole host of these worksheets for all of those different strongholds that you can think of. Not all of them, but many of them, um, which I will give you um, on the whatever date it is in January, 23rd of January, um, so that you can actually look through some of those uh, as well. But I wanted to just look at this uh, control. And again, I don't, want to, I don't normally read things, but I just want to read this first paragraph. Uh, Control is a sin pattern that will cause a person to try to determine the way things are done outside of God's leading and direction. When control is operating in a person, they do not rely on the Holy Spirit, but rely on their own resources. Control is rooted in unbelief that God or God won't or can't sort this out, so I'll have to. And fear, I'm scared that it will fall apart, so I'll have to make sure uh, that it doesn't. Um, I think I... uh, I was asked to speak. I know. I don't think. I know. I was asked to speak about this um, particular topic at uh, a national conference for Living Free a couple of weeks ago. I think I was asked to do that because the person leading the conference knows me really well uh, and knows that control is something that I've had to deal with uh, quite a lot. Jonathan, you know, has said to me before, the role of Messiah is already taken, um, and uh, it's something that I've had to spend a lot of my life uh, understanding. So when he, bless him, admitted uh, that it's something he's had to work on, it's almost certainly because he can see it going on in my life as well. Just a biblical understanding of control is here in Mark 8, uh, 31 to 33. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer, this is Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Um, it used to be, you don't have in mind the, kind of the things of God, but the things of man. And this statement, that the things of God, the thing, but merely the main things of man, is what control is all about. Um, if that statement understand, it makes, says anything to you, maybe this is something you need to think about in your own life. The opposite of uh, control is trust. Um, we are to trust God in all things. As I said earlier, Adam and Eve, the principal sin for Adam and Eve was not that they, that they uh, disobeyed God. It was that they didn't trust God to have uh, the best for them in mind. That They didn't trust that he had the perfect plan for their uh, lives. Uh, we often come up with our own plans, I think, and ask God uh, to bless them. I have lost count this is not one of the churches, but I have lost count of the churches I have been involved in where they have spent uh, two and a half hours discussing business and a 30 seconds saying, Lord, thank you for, your for our time together. Will you bless the decisions that we have made? Amen. Rather than spending time seeking God, which I'm pleased to tell you that they do here. It's the first PCC I've been involved in that genuinely spends good amounts of time seeking God over the decisions that we make as a church. It's a depressing that it's the first PCC that I've been involved in, but it's fantastic for this church uh, that we do that. Um, control, as it says in the top there, is rooted in um, unbelief, as I say, the idea that God can't solve a situation, so we're going to have to, or fear, we're scared that something uh, terrible will happen uh, if we don't uh, do, don't take control. How do we recognize uh, control in our lives? Now, I've listed some, there are some characteristics here of people who uh, are dominated by control. Uh, now, when I first read this, I read along this list and I went, well, none of these are true of me, but I know an awful lot of people that it is true of. Um, it might be true that you have done the same uh, there as well. Maybe you haven't, maybe you're much more holy than I am. Uh, but uh, just have a think about those in a moment. Um, just trying to think. One second, sorry. Uh, just to say that um, we often recognize control when we get angry, when things don't go our way. But the difference between control and being organized is that anger. Because we can be angry about, uh, we can be uh, organized but not be angry. I am, I am, despite the evidence to the contrary this evening, fairly organized person. Um, if you go to my study, all of my books are organized firstly by category and then by surname of author. My son, as I say, is two years old, does not respect this uh, organization. Um, and his favorite game at the moment is to take all the books off the bottom two shelves and hurl them across the rail in any order at all. Um, now, my response to him doing that, despite being a bit annoyed, is not anger. It's, it's, it's joy, largely, because he finds it so much fun. Um, how we respond helps us to understand what is going on inside us. I think the second list here, which I'm going to just give you a minute or two uh, to read through, helps us understand whether control is something that we need to think about in our lives. Maybe as you just read, I'll just give you a minute or two to read down that list. I'm going to read it with you, then hopefully you'll read at the same time. The reason there are boxes is that if you want to tick them, you're very welcome to. You might want to just do that in your head. Um, you might want to do it physically.
Um, one of those, I want to do things for others when I think I can do it better uh, than they can. I'm going to just focus on that for my own life for a moment. Um, for two reasons. One, because the first time that I recognized control was something I had to deal with uh, was when I was on holiday with my wife, and uh, she was ahead of me in the, sh in the street, and she laughed out loud, which, if you know my wife, is not something she often does, uh, and said, I'll be back in a minute, and disappeared into a shop. And she came out with a little brown bag uh, and said, this is you. It defines who you are. And uh, I opened it, and it said... I'm not arguing, I'm simply explaining why I'm right. <laughs> now, if that, if that is you, um, then maybe you also need to think about this uh, a little bit as well. Um, this, you may have heard of the Jahari window, which is the four different ways in which we can understand things. Think, some things are obvious to us and obvious to other people. There are things about me uh, that are obvious to you uh, that I do and I don't do, and they're obvious to me. There are things about me, this was one of them, that were not obvious to me, but are obvious to you. Uh, so control was one of them all those years ago. It is no longer, it has moved, thanks to my lovely wife. Um, but there will be things about that. So that was one of those for me. There are things about you uh, that uh, you will know, but no one else will know. There will be other things uh, like that. This might be one of them as well. There will also be things, the fourth one, is things that you don't know and that other people don't know. Um, and for that, we need the Lord to, to prophetically reveal them to us, either through other people um, or through ourselves. The second reason that I bring that one up is because we did a staff training, a number of staff are here, um, on Myers-Briggs a little while ago. And um, we were asked to consider what we would do if somebody's, I think it's somebody's house burnt down. I think that was the, uh, uh, was the scenario or, or something like that. Some disaster had happened to a friend of ours, they phoned us. And um, I wrote on my piece of paper, we were allowed several minutes to think about it, I wrote on my piece of paper a few words which simply said, uh, go round and take over. Um, because that basically summed up my character um, and who I, I was. And there were one or two of other members of staff, I shan't name them, um, who uh, were, were similar and had said the same. And we all laughed and joked about the fact that this was particularly relevant for a particular type of character within Myers-Briggs. And often with these statements, we can look at them and go, well, it's just my character, it's just who I am made uh, to be. Now, there's, there's the gift of helps. There's those of us that really love uh, to help. And then there is control. And sin is never part of our character. Sin is never designed to be on our character. And so if we desire control, particularly with God, if we aren't willing to give God the control, then that's not just part of our character. It's something that we need to deal with. An, an older lady in uh, the church I was in in Bristol once told me uh, that we often consider things in our lives on a hand. Um, and she said, there are some things that we might place on the hand and uh, with an open palm. And we might say to God, this you can have. Uh, this you can have complete control over. If you take it away, that's fine. If you grow it, that's fine. If you do nothing with it, that's fine. This is just for you to do with. Some things we place on our hands and close it really tightly. Actually, I think the majority of things, for those of us that suffer with this, um, we hold them on our hands a little bit like that, where we are saying that they're open, but actually, the second it starts to get affected by something, we clasp our hands close again. So I'll just give you that um, to think about. I do want us to pray this prayer together um, for those of us that have control in our lives. If you have no issue with control, feel free to not pray out loud. Uh, well, no, that's not true. Pray out loud with all of us together for your brothers and sisters so that we're all praying together and we don't know who's who. Will you stand with me? And we're going to pray this together. And I'm, I, we're literally just going to, you want to want the words in front of you because we're going to say these all together. We're Anglican, we can cope with liturgy.
At the very end of the first prayer, I'm going to give you a minute or two of silence just to offer the things particularly from the list to God. Let's say, Lord, I repent of the sin of control and manipulation. I confess right now that I have allowed it to become a part of my life. I name it before you as sin. I confess wanting control over others and my own life. I recognize my control is rooted in my lack of trust in you, Lord, and my desire to feel in control. I recognize the pride in me, too. I repent of these things. Just have a moment of silence or two, just to think about some things that you know you need to offer to the Lord today. before we pray this prayer, I'm going to pray over us. Lord, I thank you so much that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Lord, I thank you that you promise that you love us so deeply, that you promise that we can trust you with every area of our lives. Lord, would you remind us that we are your children, that we are loved, that we are accepted, and that we don't need to do anything but just come into your authority, come into your life, go into, into line with your life. Let's pray this prayer together. I receive your forgiveness, Lord, through the shed blood of Christ, and thank you that I am forgiven, loved, accepted, and free from the power of this sin. Carry on. I rebuke the spirit of control that has been energizing this sin in me, I take authority over you and command you out of my life and under the feet of Jesus Christ. I break all agreement with the spirit of control and come into agreement with the truth that God is good and I can trust him to work out his good, pleasing and perfect will. I realign my life, my thinking, my decisions, and my desires to surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit, to trust him to work out his purposes without my attempts to make it happen according to my plans and thoughts. I declare I am a child of obedience. I embrace humility and surrender and will bless, honor, and trust those God gives me to live and work with. Amen. Amen. When we say amen, we're just agreeing, so amen. Um, you continue to walk in the opposite spirit. Uh, there's a number of ways there that you can do that and some scriptures uh, to live by uh, as we go. Um, I, we've been a little bit longer this evening. I didn't warn you before because I didn't want to put you off. This was two talks last time, um, uh, which has been made into one. Uh, but I have reduced the amount that you've given because it was two 45-minute talks. So um, you haven't been here less time, but I apologize for a little longer than we have been before. Um, we'll go into your groups now. You've got plenty of questions to be talking about. Uh, next week, we're thinking about faith, victory, and disappointment. Um, and so uh, do come along to that. The week after, if you remember, is Hearing God's Voice, session two. Uh, and so for those of you who have been hearing God speak to you a little, come along on the 12th of December as well. But yeah, go into your groups. And if you, as always, if you have questions, grab me.